And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Welcome to My Public Life. As an American nerd, I am your host, David K. Montoya. All right, kids, thanks for coming back. It's been a month now. Uh, we're just moving right along. It's been nice. Uh, while I'm thinking about it, I want to quickly say thank you to our two guests in the last previous two episodes, Mr. Mike Lutz and Mario Martinez. I really had a blast with both of you. And I look forward to having you back and, and doing this more. It was it was fun. But this episode, kids, we are going to do a solo episode. Uh, I'm not talking Star Wars Han Solo, and it's not going to be the topic of who shot first, him or Guido, even though we do know that Solo shot first, technically. Uh, it, it's funny, and I'm not going to get off on a rant this far into this, uh, or this early rather, into this episode. But um, if anybody's ever seen Solo, the movie Solo, it, it kind of there's a precognition towards the end. Spoiler alert if you've not seen it, but um, it it kind of shows you where he is as as person you know because I, I, of course that's one of the biggest arguments in star wars history is who shot first and the movie kind of comes down to uh, i'm trying to think of how to explain it. it it shows you what kind of person solo is and that he is the one who shot first uh, a friend of mine, her and I, we went to go see uh, Solo at the Chinese Theater. Uh, the world probably knows it as Man's Chinese Theater, but uh, TLC bought it out. So it's the TLC uh, Theater, Chinese Theater. And we, we got to see that opening night on the IMAX screen, which was amazing, by the way. But like I said, this is not that type of Solo show. It's just going to be you and I, gentle listener. As I read you the topics of today's comic book news and we discuss it in a nice, quiet, intimate fashion. You like that, huh? Yeah, I'm in a weird, I'm in a weird mood today, kid. So just just to let you know, I, I'm kind of silly today. Um, so let's go ahead and, and since we're talking about Star Wars... Let me put down my phone. I'm doing a podcast. Let me stop texting people. That's kind of rude. Um, since we're talking about Star Wars, let me go ahead and start with the first topic, which just so happens to be a Star Wars topic. Um, as we've discussed already, uh, Kelly Marie Tran has gotten crap over Twitter uh, from zealous fanboys and... She's stepped away from Twitter and she just, you know, she then she stepped up and she kind of, you know, spoke her mind. And then people are supporting her, some people hate her. But anyway, the person 
that came to forefront, which I thought was interesting, gave her a piece of advice, and that is Hayden Christensen. Now, Hayden Christensen knows all about internet hate, you know, because he is Anakin Skywalker, a.k.a. Darth Vader. And if you didn't know that, where have you been hiding? Um, anyway, he had to deal with trolls during that whole process of becoming, you know, Anakin and Darth Vader at the end. Spoiler alert. Um, you know, because people thought he was whiny. People didn't like him. And he had to deal with that online. So he knows that firsthand. Now, even though it's been... Quite sorry, I didn't mean to bing that. Uh, it's been quite a few years since his uh, his role as you know the the Sith Lord. Um, he kind of popped out of nowhere, and he's he gave some interesting advice to Kelly Tran about dealing with all the hate. Now, uh, I'll go ahead and read this. This is from CBR.com. And it is the article reads, Star Wars, Hayden Christensen has advice for Kelly Marie Tran. And it says, while promoting his new film, Little Italy, Hayden Christensen, who rose to the prominence playing Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars Episode 2, The Attack of the Clones, and Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, offers some advice for Kelly Marie Tran, who left social media due to cyberbullying and negative reaction to Star Wars The Last Jedi. He goes to say, Don't take it too seriously. Uh, He said to uh, Christensen told Entertainment Tonight Canada, He stated trolls are, unfortunately, the ones that make the most noise, adding it is important to keep in mind that the majority of people don't feel that way. Um, You know, the interesting thing is, is that while I did not care for Rose, the character Rose, I didn't feel like it was a, a, a fit to the the lore of Star Wars. I personally had, and I think I've said this. I I think I've said this on the last two shows. In fact, um, is you know, if if I was offered that kind of money, I would do it. And I'm a dude. I'd play Rose for sure, man. Star Wars money. You know, I I have no as, as far as the acting. She, I thought she did an excellent job as an actress. I thought she portrayed it very well. She was believable. But, you know, I just didn't care for the character, not for Kelly Marie Tran herself. And I, I think that anybody that has is going out there and is talking mad crap about uh, Kelly Marie Tran, just you need to chill. You really do. You know, it's it's a movie. It's fiction. Life goes on. Real life goes on. And I'm saying this in a nerd podcast. Life goes on. Chill out. Okay, going back to the article. Tran deleted her Instagram and other social media over racist and sexist comments related to backlash against The Last Jedi. She would break her silence in an op-ed in New York Times addressing the hate and her experience growing up in America and breaking into Hollywood. In her essay, Tran wrote, she felt 
brainwashed into believing that my existence was limited to the boundaries of another person's approval. Tran also said, throughout her life, she was always made to feel like she was part of an other. Interesting. The Last Jedi star recently received support from co-star Mark Hamill, who tweeted, I love you, Lon. Or Lone, whichever you pronounce. It's L-O-A-N, so it's Lone, technically, I guess. We don't deserve you, and you are just getting started. Tran will reprise her role as Ro Tico in director J.J. Abrams' Star Wars Episode Nine, opening December 2019. And, you know, while... I did not care for The Last Jedi, and I, I will go on in record and say that I just didn't care for it. And that one of the big issues that I had with it was that it, it pandered to the other markets. Because the Star Wars, now Star Wars is an American tale. It was crafted for the American audience. Now, from 1977, May 4th, 1977 to be exact, um, from to now, you know, the the market, the movie market has changed. And I totally get that because now we have to expand to the mass audiences. And I felt that it tried too hard to expand to those mass markets. And it, it kind of deviated from the original Star Wars tell what was being told. And people say, well, what is it that's being told? Now, again, you can disagree with me. That's totally fine. But episode one, two, and three, and episode four, five, and six, all related to the Skywalkers. It was a, it, to me, Star Wars is a Skywalker tale. It's a family legacy tale. And I, I, I think that, Quite frankly, I think that Ray should have been a Skywalker. Who knows? Number nine might come out and say, yeah, you know what? She actually is Luke's kid or something. I, I don't know, which I would totally be okay with. I think that J.J. Um, Abrams did a good job on The Force Awakens. And I think that for what it's worth, uh, Ryan Johnson did what he did. And... Visually, it's beautiful. I mean, come on. It, it's gorgeous. But, you know, perception is everything. And while he claims that he's a Star Wars fan, and I, I totally get that, you know, again, you can be a Star Wars fan and your perception just not be the same as everybody else. And that was his perception. And with his perception and, and trying to pander to the expanded international market, I, I think he missed the mark. Do I hate him? Absolutely not. I think he makes great movies. I loved Looper. Looper was a great movie, you know. And, you know, I just don't, I don't know. Will I come back and see his next run of movies after this? I don't know. I just do not know. We'll, we'll have to see what happens next. But anyway, that was just a little Star Wars uh, news for this time around, for this week. Um, you know, I, I think that Hayden Christensen kind of put it out there. You know, he, he's smart enough 
as a, a, an actor to to deal well he has good advice because he's been there he understands so yeah you just don't take it personal you know i get people to tell me online you suck all the time you know i mean it doesn't matter if it's my writing my drawing my podcasting or just me as in general they're like you suck i love it when they you know they email me and they're like they they're such in a hurry and they just have the, the small letter u like u and then suck s-u-x so yeah don't take it personal i mean i of course i don't get it on the mass level that she's getting it because she's like you know a gazillion times uh famous but you know it is what it is uh you know as long as i don't know i mean it's a job they get paid for it you know they get paid lots of money for it and i you can't blame an actor it just it bothers me just because you can't blame an actor for doing their job you know a job's a job and they're there to get money for it i mean yes they can they enjoy the role and you can be you know someone like say mark hamill who literally embodies the role uh and and transcend it past a job past money to become that person now speaking of that okay uh jim parson who is the lead in big bang theory he is an actor and he is paid quite handsomely to portray a character and when people find out that he he's different from that character you know people are shocked um i i i'm trying to figure out how to say this correctly because it's not it's not that big of a shock he's an actor he acts he makes pretend that he's somebody else he's he's pretending to be this fictional character named shelton cooper who's a nerd who's like way you know beyond anything I could be, you know, as far as being nerd-wise, you know, quantum physics and, and mathematics and science and comics. I mean, the quintessential nerd is, is Shelton. Um, anyway, he's he's not really that way. He's, he's an actor. He's, you know, he just he's there to, again, make pretend and get a big paycheck which leads me to my next topic and that is jim parsons is the reason why the big bang theory is ending i read a lot of comments on this and i just i can't help but laugh because people are like what what and they and then what the funny thing is is they they kept calling him shelton you know he's not shelton his name is jim you know the the real person and they they get it confused that they think well because this guy's been acting as a fictional character for 11 seasons going on 12 seasons that he's this person but you know <laughs> he, again he's he's uh he's not and it says that the nbc popular sh uh, sitcom the big bang theory would be ending after the upcoming 12th season uh rock the fans and I I don't know I I I never watched it 
I'm just going to be honest. I never watched it. Um, I'm not a big TV watcher, though, to be honest with you. But I, I kind of followed what was happening, who came on. You know, like I know Kevin Smith came on some time back as a guest. I know Stan Lee's been on there. I know that, like, Mark Hamill has been on there. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Just follow along. But anyway, uh, let's see. It says, after the deaths settled, the reason for the cancellation is becoming public. And I, before I scroll down, I already know what the reason is. And, and people just lost their minds. I, I, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll keep going, okay? It says, reports indicate that while the cast... We're in the middle of negotiations to renew their contracts for a, a potential 13th and 14th season. Jim Parsons elected not to renew his contract. As the breakout fan favorite character of the series, CBS decided instead to end the series after the conclusion of the 12th season, rather than attempt to carry on without him, which I think is a good strategy. If he's the main star, you know. I mean, yeah, everybody knows who Shelton is. I mean, I can't tell you the other characters, but I know Shelton Cooper because he's the main star. And so it says, it goes on to say, rather, uh, earning nearly $1 million per episode. episode. Good Jesus, that is a lot of money. Uh, Persons decided, or Parsons decided to walk away from the long-running CBS series was evidently not a financial motivated one, but rather that the actor simply wanted to pursue new projects after committing 12 years starring on the popular comedy series. He's an actor. <laughs> you know, he doesn't want to, he wants to do something else. And he's been doing it for 12 years, 12 long years. It is unclear at this time if Parsons will continue to reprise his role of Shelton Cooper, providing voiceover narrations for the prequel series Young Shelton. Oh, yeah, I remember seeing that on uh, seeing the advertisement, rather. As a spinoff, uh, prepares to return for a second season on Monday, September 24th, ahead of the season 12 premiere of The Big Bang Theory. Uh, yeah, I mean, all he has to do is go in there and read the script, right? After 12 years of leading the longest-running single-camera television comedy series of all time, Parsons has certainly put in his time to move on to different things. And it, it goes on to talk about who's all you know the cast is and it says the big bang returned monday september 24th at 8 p.m on cbs before moving to its regular night on thursday september 27th which is actually my daughter's birthday hmm. very interesting but yeah i mean again the dude is the dude he's he's not he's not really that character and you can't you can't blame him for wanting to move on i mean you just you get burned out, even though you know you're making crazy, crazy money. You know you you can't blame a guy. You know it's it's kind of like you know you can't be in a phoenix come from the ashes and, and recreate Shelton Cooper. It is who it is. He is what he is, and 
you get tired of it, especially as an actor. It doesn't matter if you're making a million dollars an episode. You want to play something else. Speaking of Phoenix, um, we go and we we tip over to the X-Men world. And Phoenix, which is Jean Grey, um, she was in the headlines. And it caught my eye because I, I love the X-Men. If anybody knows me, knows that I'm a, a, an X-Men fan. Uh, specifically, uh, I, I haven't read anything new as of like 2015, 2016, something like that. But uh, I am an X-Men fan. I've read, you know, a lot of back issues. In fact, I think my comicology is like the first 400 comic books. And I'll get to 500 eventually. It just, you know, costs kind of a lot of money. Anyway, uh, I came across this and it says, When Jean Grey gained two siblings right as all Greys were massacred. Now, I'm going to read this to you and I'll... I'll kind of impose my thoughts on it, but I'm not really sure what happened. So I'll, we'll, we'll go along with it. Okay. Okay. So again, this comes from uh, CBR.com. I'm pulling a lot from them today. So thank you, CBR.com. It says, and remember to forget, we spotlight comic book stories that I wish I could forget, but I can't. So instead share them with all of you. Today, we look at a bizarre massacre of the Greys and an event that somehow included introducing two brand new siblings of Jean Grey that we never knew existed, just in time for them all toe-toe. I wonder if that, that's, uh, that has to be a typo. All to be slaughtered. A lot of this is covering... Some of the same grounds as my recent piece. Oh, well, let me go up here and see who's writing this. So we can, it's Brian Cronin. Okay. So go to CBR.com and look up Brian Cronin, C-R-O-N-I-N, and then go back to, you know, you can go through his articles. Okay. And um, kind of piece it all together. Uh, so picking up again, it says a lot of this is covering some of the same ground from my recent piece about Jean Grey's sister, Sarah. But this goes to a whole other level. Jean Grey's parents were introduced in X-Men number five by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby when they came by a surprise visit. I actually remember reading this um, on Comicology. They just kind of showed up while the X-Men were in the danger room training. You're like, oh, okay. We kind of, you know, need to get our butts looking normal. So they did. They went and changed up, and they all greeted the Dr. John Gray, if I remember correctly. And I don't remember his wife's name. Forgive me. Uh, what's her name? I can't remember. Uh, let's see. Um, Cred. I don't remember. Somebody email me. Uh, David K. Montoya at jayzomon.com, J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-N.com. And tell me who Jean Grey's, or yeah, tell me what the name of Jean Grey's mother is. Obviously, it's Grey, but I don't remember the first name. I want to say Martha, but I, I know that's wrong. <laughs> uh, so uh, it says... 
Let's see. I'm looking here. Okay, and then they pop up less impressed a hundred years later. A hundred years later. hundred issues later. So they were very impressed with the school during that time, and then they pop up in like issue 105, I believe. And um, when it says when they came visiting their daughter's apartment. And then everything broke loose. Okay. It's unfortunately, this is during the Phoenix saga. Interesting. Um, I'm reading through here, kids, and I apologize because this is very um, visually oriented and I should have gone through a little bit more. And as I'm reading through, it says, okay, so years later, Sarah Gray and her family were kidnapped. Eventually Jean, who was found alive after it turned out that the Phoenix had been impersonating her during the whole time period of the, the Phoenix dark Phoenix saga managed to rescue Sarah's two children from the misguided villain who believed that it was, protecting the kids from their parents the children or the kids were given john and elaine there it is elaine uh gray for keepsake key safe keeping an x for x factor 40 um i actually have that comic book somewhere uh let's see so yeah there's that and then we're scrolling down and it says during Operation Zero Tolerance. Oh, that's a good one. That was that was back in the late 90s. Good times, good times, late 90s. Uh, Operation Zero Tolerance. The evil Bastion was hunting down mutants for the government, and John Gray took Sarah's kids, who might be mutants, and ran. Cable sent Nate Gray who is sort of John's grandson from an alternate reality to help protect the kids in X-Men 30. I don't remember that. Too many. I'll cut that out. I'll bleep it out. I shouldn't say that. This is a PG show. Uh, so there's that. And then it says, in the end, Nate saves the day and the kids are reunited with their grandparents. Yay! Then... It says, now I've already talked about how I thought it was a waste of time for Sarah Gray to, in effect, be killed off page to help support a minor X-Men crossover. But already we're looking at a whole lot of tragedy for the Gray family. And then things got worse when Jean Gray died again for the first time at the end of Grant Morrison's new X-Men run. Meanwhile, though, Jean's daughter from an alternate timeline, Rachel Summers, rejoined the X-Men and decided to take the name Rachel Gray as she was angry at her father for dating Emma Frost after Jean's death. Rachel reunited with the Grays who treated her as if she was their actual granddaughter. In Uncanny X-Men 466, Chris Claremont and Chris Bonicello and a host of inkers, she enjoyed a quality time with her grandparents, which was okay. I remember reading that. Um, she is invented. Heck, she's the grand guest of honor for the Big Gray Family Party. 
Her grandparents teaches her how to dance all. And then he destroyed by an alien blast. Oopsie. And things somehow get worse in the next issue. And uh, it, then it goes into, it says, who is Brian and Julie? Now, these are the other siblings, right? It says, the next issue by Chris Claremont and Chris Bonicello, an inker, host of inkers, uh, is called 24 Seconds and takes place over 24 seconds. In that time, a group of Shi'ar death commandos show up in the Earth, on Earth, and their mission is to make sure that the Phoenix Forks can't find any other host. So they slaughter the entire clan of Grey relatives at the party, as Claremont explains who each were. And then it says the X-Men show up almost instantaneously, but they are unable to save anyone. This includes Jean never before mentioned brother Brian or sister Julia. They took care of Sarah's kids. They're all slaughtered in this issue. That sucks. And uh, we're just scrolling down here. It says, at the end of it, Rachel is branded with a tattoo that allows the Shi'ar to track her wherever she goes so they can see if she turns into the Phoenix. The X-Men captured the Death Commandos in the next issue a day later and a dollar short. And then it says, can you imagine those kids going through all of that horrible stuff only to then die in a massacre? with all their relatives. And that we met Jean's never-before-mentioned siblings just to see them slaughtered. But, you know, thinking about this, it, it's the idea of, you know, tragedy is the best story told kind of pops into mind. And that's what I think Chris Claremont put together there. Is it's a tragedy. You know, the entire family dies. And that... Uh, Rachel Gray, Rachel Summers, whatever she's identifying as at this point. Um, you know, she's from the future. She didn't have a family. She had a family. Now she's alone again. She's orphaned. And I think that's what uh, is trying to be told there. I don't know. I like Chris Claremont. I, he's one of, he is my favorite writer. Um, you know, I actually had an opportunity to meet him. This year in May, at uh, it's called Comic Con Revolution in Ontario, California, and the dude, I just, he was awesome, you know. And in fact, I remember at the time I was working on a um, a TV show for Netflix, and I said, you know what, if it ever picks up, uh, I I would love to bring you on as a, a writer for the show. You know, speaking of Netflix, that actually brings me to my next topic. Netflix is bringing in a, a new cartoon. They just signed a deal. And though I, I openly admit that I haven't seen all the episodes, I've seen intermittent episodes of this show. And I, I'm actually really happy because I think it's a great show. Even though I'm not too overly fond of the, the animation, the show, the story is fantastic. And whoa, who I'm talking about is um, Gravity Falls from Disney. Gravity Falls just signed a deal, which kind of blows my mind because I thought Gravity Falls was a Disney-owned um, 
cartoon. But I know that Disney's coming out with um, their own Disney flicks. So that's interesting. Uh, let's see. Uh, it says Gravity Falls creator Alex Henrich has signed a multi-year deal with Netflix to develop new series and feature for the streaming service Adult Animated Slate. Uh, he's created... His credits include voice work for Rick and Morty, Star versus the Forces of Evil. Um, but the best known is his acclaimed animated series, Gravity Falls, which aired two seasons from 2012 to 2016. Uh, he also voiced such beloved characters as Grendel, Stan, Lovable Handyman, So, Insane Hillbilly, Fiddleford, and even the un unimaginable evil triangle, Bill Cipher. Uh, a quote has him saying, I couldn't be more excited to join the amazing roster talented coming to Netflix, he said in a statement. Plus, it couldn't hurt to be on the algorithm good side before the singularity hits. Awesome things are coming. Uh, he's also co-authored Gravity Falls Journal 3 and wrote Gravity Falls Lost Legends graphic novel. So also a co-writer in the upcoming Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and Detective Pikachu movie. Interesting. Uh, Gravity Falls, which follows the exploits of twins. Um, let's see. Dipper and Mabel Pines as they unveil mysteries around the town earned multiple emmys and annie awards during the two season run yeah they they were just they were excellent they really were they were really fun to watch and you could tell that they they really there was thought put into the show um so yeah i'm actually i'm i'm pretty happy about that it's uh, a bit of good news um you know I, I'm just going to touch on this real fast because I try to keep it upbeat, but I, I see this and and um, I'm just going to kind of address it real fast and move on. Um, right now, as I'm recording this, one of the big topics is the Roseanne show. You know, Roseanne, I guess, came out and, and said something that shouldn't have been said on her personal social media and though we should be protected by freedom of speech we're not especially if you're you know um a celebrity i guess is what it comes down to so they fired roseanne and now they're coming off with a, a connor spinoff which i don't know because roseanne was the 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 marquee of Roseanne, you know, and all the other characters, even Dan, Becky too, they were all minor supporting characters. So now they're taking all of these minor supporting characters and turning them into main players. I, you might get a season. I think I've said, I don't remember where I said it from, from somewhere else too, but I think you're only going to get Oh, I remember what I said. Uh, episode one with the prequel to Gotham with uh, Alfred Pennyworth 
series. I said you'll probably get about a season out of them. Uh, same thing here. I think you're only going to get about a season out of the Connor spinoff. And it says a uh, special report is that Roseanne's character to be killed off for the Connor spinoff. And I don't know, gang. I, I don't know. I just, I find it, I find it like a slap in the face. I really do. Because without Roseanne Barr, these characters would not exist. Simple as that. I mean, yes, I know that they were created by other writers but if there wasn't a roseanne bar there would not be a roseanne show and if there was no roseanne show there would be no characters you know there there would be no dan connor there would be no becky there would be no darlene and i i from what i understand i think darlene's supposed to be the head runner in this in this new thing and i don't know to me it seems like they turned their back on her, but I, I just, you know, I don't know. I just, it feels wrong, and I pr probably won't watch it, to be honest with you. I just, I don't, it doesn't set well with me. And I try my best not to go into a rant about this because, to me, you know, it, it, it comes down to the one of those things where you, I... I may not believe in what you say. I may not support what you say, but I support the fact that you have the right to say it. Freedom of speech. And I think that's what's happening. I think that she should be supported by freedom of speech. I don't know. Okay, I'm done. I'm sorry, gang. I, it was just something that had to come out of me. Um, I don't know. I feel bad. Uh I, I think that you're an actor, like I said with Parson, right? Jim Parson, he he is an actor. He acts one way, but he's actually another way. Same thing with Roseanne. She acts one way, but she is another way. It should, you know, it, common sense, kids. It really should. And I'm sorry. I, I I know I'm ranting, and I was trying my best not to rant. My apologies. Okay, let's go ahead and go into uh, another topic, more of a fun topic. Um, let's see, what do I have for the grab bag here? How about Robert Downey Jr. gives Chris Evan a Captain America-themed Camaro? All right, it says, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr., Tony Stark and Chris Evans, Steve Rogers, first shared their on-screen in 2012, The Avengers. Since then, they have shared the screen as members of Earth's Mightiest Heroes, The Avengers, Age of Ultron, Captain America, Civil War, and Avengers Infinity War. On screen, the characters develop a bond of friendship that was ultimately broken, and the pieces are only just starting to come back together. However, off-screen, it appears like the actors are a bit more different from the superheroes they embody in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Their bond of friendship has never been shattered, and it is as strong as ever. In the latest episode of Jay Leno's Garage, a series that is features the former late-night show host spotlighting unique cars i heard he he was in the cars and motorcycles and stuff like that that he would like um he, he would go like to sturges and stuff with like hulk hogan and um 
yeah, it was a hope. Yeah, it was Hulk Hogan and some other wrestlers. He would ride, you know, and, and go that way. So, yeah, I, I heard that he's into, like, old cars, special cars, motorcycles, that kind of stuff. He's a, he's a gearhead, actually. Um, anyway, it says, Leno showcases a 1967 custom-built Camaro that Robert Downey Jr. gave to Chris Evans on the set of Avengers Infinity War. And... That's pretty nice. Um, it, it actually has uh, a little clip from it. It says, The Camaro is Captain America theme without being obvious about it. Instead of having the obligatory red, white, and blue color scheme, the vehicle is far more muted and features a dark military green paint that seems to call back to Steve Rogers' days in the Army. The steering wheel features a silver Captain America shield logo, and the interior of the car contains a commemorative plaque that reads 1967 Camaro RS Steve Rogers Special Edition, custom built for Chris Evans by Speedcore. And that's S P E E D K O R E. According to the vice president of Speed Corps, Robert Downey Jr. was heavily involved in the design of the car. Not only that, the actor arranged for the car to be shipped out of Atlanta where Infinity Wars was being filmed. This surprise, the surprise Evans on set with this one of a kind gift. Gift. I can't talk. Sorry, kids. Downey Jr. may not be a genius inventor but he once again proves that he truly is tony stark inside and out giving out a captain america themed car to steve rogers that's something that could easily take place in an avengers comic book steve rogers and tony stark will next share the screen in avengers 4 directed by joe and anthony russo the film stars, here we go, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Chris Helmert, Brie Larson, Mark Garofalo, Jeremy Renner, Scarlett Johansson, Paul Bettany, Anthony Mackie, Paul Rudd, Elizabeth Olsen, Tom Holland, Benedict Cumberbatch, Chadwick Bosman, Chris Pratt, Zoe Moran, Sorana, Dave Bautista, Bradley Cooper, Vin Diesel, Karen Gillan, Angel uh, Evangelina Lilly, and Josh Brolin. The film is set to hit theaters May third, two thousand nineteen. Uh, I know it was really it's it's nothing really special, but it's just a fun story. Um, you know, it, it's always fun because you want these people to to be friends because you know. In the comic books, Steve Rogers and well, yeah, I guess even to this point, Steve Rogers and um, Tony Stark are good friends. Even post, what is this Civil War Two? I mean, come on, I don't know, but yeah, it, it's just a fun story and it makes you smile, it makes you happy, and makes the day go on. Okay, we come to our final topic. I, I leave this one for last because 
I, okay, I know a lot of people had a problem with Ben Affleck playing Batman in, um, in, you know, the DC Cinematic Universe. I liked it. I, I thought he did a good job. But I've always liked Ben Affleck as an actor. I know people think that he can't act. I disagree. I think he can act very well, actually. Um, so let's, um, my apologies. I'm just adjusting my pop filter here. Um, so the topic of this article, this final article of the day, says Batman. Ben Affleck may not have a say in retaining his DCEU role. Okay, so I I know people, before I get started, people really are just like throffing at the bit to have him change out. But he, I thought he did a good job. I really did. I really honestly did. And at this point, I think changing out of Batman, if you've learned anything post-Michael Keaton Batman, is keep it the same or you create confusion. I really. Okay, so the final article starts with speculation has swirled for more than a year and a half that Ben Affleck is walking away from the role of Batman, making way for a younger Bruce Wayne in director Matt Reeves' solo movie. Although Warner Brothers, the filmmaker, and Affleck himself have repeatedly, uh, repeatedly sidestepped the question, a new report indicates that the actor returns to rehab may effectively make the decision for them. I didn't even know he went to rehab. Wow. Okay, there you go. Interesting. Uh, according to The Wrap, the entering a treatment facility for alcohol addiction last week for the second time since 2017, Affleck may have inadvertently made the price of Ensuing him on the project like Batman too close too costly for the studio. It's standard for a big budget production to be insured against cancellations or delays in the event of problems with stars or directors. In case of Affleck, who previously sought treatment in 2001 and in 2017, an anonymously anonymous attorney tells the outlet he could still be bondable but that the deductible could increase high requiring as much as half the film's entire budget being set aside in escrow that's insane that's insane kids wow Whoa. what is what is the budget i, I want to say it's like what 200,000 200,000 200 million wow that's, that's, yeah, that's a lot of money to run for one actor. But it also goes on to say the rap notes that not entirely uncommon for actors to run into difficulties getting bonded. The point to Robert Downey Jr., who after stints of rehab and in jail, experienced similar problems when it came to 2003 singing detective. In that insurance, Downey's friend and co-star paid his insurance bond. The outlet source suggests Affleck might need to reestablish himself in the eyes of the insurance companies and some similar small-budget independent films before they feel comfortable enough bonding him at more reasonable price. 
Although they have been plenty of rumors about the Batman, little information has actually been confirmed. Beyond that, it is not based on the year one comic, which is too bad because that would have been awesome. And that Affleck is involved, at least as the producer. And that, that you know, sometimes, I, I don't know, kids, everybody's got demons they have to deal with. And I guess the more famous you are, the, the louder your demons are. I guess is what it comes down to. Um, I don't know. I I, I kind of feel bad. I, I do because I don't know. I, I know people that are alcoholics and it's a nasty, nasty addiction. I know some people think it's a, a disease, but I, it's, a, it's an addiction. It really is. It's what it comes down to. So I wish him all the best of luck and... Yeah, maybe maybe he goes and does a, a couple of independent stints and then he goes back to the Batman. I don't know. We'll have to sit and watch. It's a very entertaining, no pun intended, uh, time to be a comic book fan because, you know, they're, they're turning everything into a movie nowadays that's comic book related. And it, it's very fun to be a comic fan. So we just have to sit back and, and see what happens. All right, kids, I want to thank you sincerely coming in for the one-month show. Uh, I, I really am digging this. I'm so glad that I've come back into the world of podcasting. So if you have any comments, if you want to debate me on something or just say, hey, you don't suck, and spell it you know, with an X if you feel necessary, or anything. Just give me some feedback. Again, my email address is David K. Montoya. That's D-A-V-I-D-K-M-O-N-T-O-Y-A at jzomon.com. That's J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-N.com. And just give me some feedback. I would like that. I really would. Um, just let me know. Or if there's some type of article or anything that you want me to cover, Again, let me know that as well. I will certainly do that. All right. All right. I'm going to stop wasting your time. You've got other things to do and probably other podcasts to listen to. So for this week, for my public life as an American nerd, I am David K. Montoya, and I bid you adieu.